week seven. What's the reason? Today we're starting Romans chapter four. And in order to open it, I want to start where we left off last week. Last week we ended with the idea that it's through faith that we're made right with God. We're not made right with God by following the law. It is not about let me get it all right to earn my salvation. You have to have faith in Jesus that Jesus is the one who makes you right because he died on the cross as a sacrificial lamb, as the Passover lamb, as the one who wipes the slate clean, who, who, who is the high priest, who is the blood, who is the mercy seat, who is the propitiation for your sin so that you are made clean in the eyes of the Father, in the eyes of God, so that your past is wiped clean, you start over, you are made new in Christ, you are made right, not by what you did, by what you put your faith in. And that when you put your faith in Jesus you start to develop a relationship with who he is. And when you start to put a relationship in with who God is, out of that relationship, you start to have a new natural. You start to react different. Your heart has new desires. You start to come into agreement with different things. And what that looks like is the law. You don't do the law to get salvation. But when you have a relationship with God, all of your ways and all of your wants and all of your dues look like the law. That's why the Bible says, even if you've never read the law, when you're immersed in who I am, I will write the law on your hearts. Your heart will have a new way of wanting. Your mind will have a new way of thinking. The way you react to things will be different. Because in your flesh, you wanted to pop them in the cheek when they pop yours, but when you get a new natural when you're immersed in me you will want to turn the other cheek in humility and you may not have ever read that law but your life will reflect the law does that make sense it's kind of like this some of you know a little bit of my story some of you don't but when I was 30 years old I found out that I was adopted it was a secret kept from me all my life not exactly the news you want to find out as a 30-year-old man. When you think you know everything and you think you know who you are and where you came from and you find out that everything's a lie and then you start approaching your family about it and everyone in the family knows your whole life. You grow up with, the, with your cousins and they've known since you were seven but everyone kept their mouth shut. That's a big reality. Well, when I found that out, about six months later, somehow God put in front of me through some different sources, hey, here's your birth parents in an envelope if you ever want to find out. I never went searching for it, but it just got put right in front of me. Well, at that point in my life, I had developed a relationship with God. I hope so, because I was a pastor at Relentless when I was 30 years old. We were two years in. Well, because I had developed this relationship, I understood that I had a new natural. I didn't have to think about it. A new natural was the concept of honor my mother and my father. Well, I had a desire in my heart. I wanted to find out who were my birth parents. But out of my natural, before I opened that envelope, my new natural was not find out who they were, it was honor my mother and my father. So before I opened that envelope, I honored them and asked for their permission. 
Did I need it? No. But my natural was let me honor the ones who raised me and poured into me. And because God says, I will give you your heart's desire when your heart is in line with me, even though their, their flesh did not want to, their answer was yes. All because I was operating in a new natural out of honor and respect, even though it wasn't deserved. Because in our flesh, it's you lied, I don't need your permission. But out of my new natural in the spirit, it's I honor even though you don't deserve. Right? It's a new natural. It's a new flow. True faith is accompanied with a work. You work out your faith. Not that you have to work to get your faith, but true faith is accompanied with a do. Not that the work makes you right, but genuine doing is a, is, is a fruit of genuine faith. And James talks about it. This is where we left off, left off last week. James chapter 2, verse 19. You say you have faith, for you believe there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, they tremble in fear. But isn't that where all Christians are mostly today? We simply ask the question, do you believe in God? And when they say yes, that's where we stop. And James brings it out very clearly. So what you say you believe? Lucifer believes. Satan believes. If you don't know who Lucifer is, Satan. Demons believe. So what if you believe? Faith is empty if all you say is, I believe it. Even they believe it. You need something more than just saying you believe it. How foolish, can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Because demons believe him, but they show enough don't have good deeds to accompany it, right? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be made right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Now remember, Abraham was following God. God made him the promise. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And Abraham's like, I have faith that you will. And God says, all right, kill your son. It's really easy to say, Lord, I have faith in you. But your faith becomes proven by what you do with what requests God puts in front of you. I believe Jesus is real. But when he says give a tithe, you show how much faith you have in his ways. Because it comes down to do I trust that your ways are better than my logic? Because I'm sure in Abraham's logic, it did not make sense. I will make you a father of many nations. Kill off your offspring. Now you can't have many nations. Right? Now you can't have kids. Right? Grandchildren. Done. Logic. That don't make sense with your promise. Well, let me see if you truly trust in what I'm asking you to do. Because what I'm asking you to do sometimes looks contrary to my promise. But do you trust in my ask? Y'all following? 
You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we're shown to be made right with God by what we do and not by faith alone. Abraham was counted as right because of his faith. How do we know he had faith? Through an act of trust and an unthinkable request. Because you have faith that God is good and just no matter what the request is. When you believe in something, you work out your belief in a doing. We say we trust God. But I don't know if the church really displays that. Because we're in a time where the church says we have faith that God conquers all. But we have more faith in the CDC about distancing then we have faith that God says, when there are as many that are sick among you, put your hands on them that they may be healed. You say you trust, but do you trust? Right? It's a hard concept to grasp, but we got to put it out there. You say you have faith in everything he says, but do we? God says, do not forsake the assembling of the saints. Don't stop gathering together. But when something comes against our nation, we have more faith in what the government says than what God said. Right? Because for some reason, we trust more in their protection than his protection. And I'm not taking anything away from the reality of disease. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that COVID was fake. I'm not saying that COVID was a conspiracy. But I believe that if we put our faith in the supreme most high God who says, I am your shelter and I am your protection, I don't need you to make something valid or invalid for him to prove himself real. And then people will come out to the other side saying, well, I have family members that died because of COVID. And I ask, were they saved? Yes. Well, then they died a long time before they got COVID. Because they were, they died to themselves and they were born again. So do you put more trust in the death of your flesh or in the protection of the Most High? Where do you put your faith in? Do you honestly believe where you're going? Do you honestly trust in all of his ways? And today in Romans chapter 4, Paul's been talking about this new covenant with Jesus, how Jesus makes you right, but Paul starts talking about faith, and specifically he starts talking about the faith of Abraham. In Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, is y'all okay? All right. Abraham was humanly speaking, the father of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way, for the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of what? Not his good deeds, because of his faith. <clears throat> 
Now, in the last verse of Romans chapter 3, in verse 31, a question is posed by the Apostle Paul. He says, if we emphasize faith, does that mean we forget about the law? In other words, Paul asks a question. Is the idea that faith makes you right, that faith justifies you, and faith redeems you, does that mean that he makes everything God did in the Old Testament irrelevant? That's the question that's posed. And that's essentially what a lot of the church does today. That we, 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 and the, I had a conversation this week. People will say, well, what about the Old Testament? And they'll say, well, we're a New Testament church. Does the Old Testament get thrown out off of New Testament ideas? So the way Paul answers it is he devotes an entire chapter in Romans chapter 4 talking about the faith of people in the Old Testament. You can't take away Old Testament ideals because you're a New Testament believer. It's that the way you came to faith was in a new covenant. It doesn't make everything of old irrelevant. Paul begins to talk about someone that the Jewish people held in high esteem, the father of the Jewish nation out of the Old Covenant, Abraham. Because Abraham got all, he did all the stuff. He made sure that he, was, he got all the law right. He made sure he was circumcised, and if you want to get into it, he, he did it with a rock when he was a man. That's painful. He made sure, if y'all know what circumcision is, Google it. You'll figure it out later. He went through all the law. He made sure he got everything perfect. So the people who were in the Jewish nation who were obsessed with the law, they held Abraham in high esteem because they were like, Abraham got it all right. And Paul's like, if anyone had anything to boast about by getting it all right, if those good, those right things got you saved, if anything could brag about the good works, Abraham was the guy, right? And Paul says, not even Abraham, who got all the stuff right, could boast and brag about what he did. Because when it all comes down to it, all have fallen short of the glory of God. God's like, you can boast about everything you do. You can honor your father and mother. You can never murder. You can never lie. You can never gossip. You can never commit adultery. You can get it all right. You can go to church every week. You can pray. You can intercede. You can give your tithe. You can give your offering. You can get it all right. But even in getting all that right, you can boast about it all you want. You still fall short of the standard of how glorious I am. And because you fall short of the standard of the glory of who I am, you can't boast about a thing when it comes to getting in my presence. And because you can't boast about a thing, because you still fall short of my glory, nothing you do makes you right. The only way you are made right is I make you right. Because you never meet my standard of glory. Adam wasn't even righteous, even before the fall. He was innocent. What's the difference? He would have only been righteous if he would have been able to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil with permission. 
Because God knew the moment he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they wouldn't see nakedness as a good thing. All he did was eat a piece of fruit. And his eyes were open to the fact that he was naked. And Adam and Eve didn't say, this is good. Which kind of is not a good compliment for either of them, but... They ate, and the first thing they did is they hid. They covered up. They were innocent because God wanted to keep them innocent from knowing. The moment they knew, they knew how unright they were. So God said, let me get you out of the garden so you don't eat of the tree of life in an unrighteous state. And the only time you're ever going to be made right is through the tree of life that is called my son Jesus. Right? Y'all are getting this. So he says, you can, you can boast about all you want, but nothing you do is going to make you right. Only I can. So I want you to put your trust in the only one who meets the standard. And I will make you right before me and if you put your faith in me I'm going to see how true your faith is by your follow through and my request just like I did with Abraham okay that's why James says faith without the works are dead because your works are the follow through not the urn Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. You see, Paul was teaching against everything the rabbis of that day were teaching because the rabbis, they were teaching the people, hey, listen, Abraham, the father of many nations, he performed the whole law, and he was perfect in his deeds, and he, was, he kept the law perfect, and God made him right. And they were trying to get all the people, follow the rules, do it right. You know, put on your robes and sacrifice your lambs and, and make sure you pray and make sure you get up at 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock and 9 o'clock and go to the wall and beat on the wall and do this and do that and do this and do that and make sure you're circumcised and make sure you, 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 you eat your Seder and make sure you do this and make sure you do that. And, and Paul's like, none of that gets you right. And so many people get caught up in let's do perfect and not get lost in the one who is perfect. Because when you get lost in the one who is perfect, that faith will start to cause you to throw caution to the wind and do whatever he asks despite your logic and your reason. And I believe that's why we're in such a day where the church is being purged and sifted. I believe that God is using all things to work together for our good. There is going to be a new reformation coming. A new revival coming. But this revival is not going to look like three-day events for the tent. That's not revival. That's manipulation to grow your church. Why? 
what a, what a true revival coming, a lasting revival is, let us spark fire in people to awaken them to a truth that causes a reforming, a reformation of the area. And what the new wave of revival coming is going to be, as prophesied by many, is going to be people are going to be awakened to what love really is. But here's the issue. Love is not we'll accept anything. Love is this is the truth, and we love you enough to say this is right and that's wrong. And that's not condemning you to hell. That's showing you a pathway to righteousness. You can't believe what you want to believe. This is truth and God loves you enough to where even if you have believed the lie all of your years, the truth is open to who you are despite all of your years of unbelief and despite your logic and despite your reason. This is who he is. A new wave of revival is coming. That it is not a fluffy message of we'll accept you for who you are and you can stay in your comfort zone. Jesus didn't do that with them. He was very clear. I'm going to take you as you are, but I'm going to call out in who you are truly are. And I'm going to spend my life getting you out of your current state and into who you are called to be. That's why he looked at Peter and called him Satan. That's why he looked at Judas and called him a betrayer. That's why he went to the woman at the well and called her out. You've been with five men. And you're going with another one. You can't keep to yourself. And she said, who are you that you know all my stuff? And when he told her who he was, even though in the New Testament the church says women keep quiet, she went and went to the whole town and said, let me tell you about a man who told me about all my business and the whole town who were a mixed race of Jews and Gentiles and no holy people would go minister to them because they were a mixed race. She went and got the whole town saved. That's the love. I'm going to go where no one goes, not to, to just say, let me tell you about Jesus, but let me tell you about a man who changed my life, and you can see what he changed. Y'all right? That's what's coming. But in order for that to come, we have to take our belief and take our faith and actually direct our will and our desires in alignment with what we say we believe. If he tells you to go do something, you can't say, I can't afford or I don't have time. You sacrifice what little time you have or what little resource you have and you say yes not because it makes sense, but because you trust that he has your best intention at hand. Think about what he asks of Peter. He says, stop fishing, I'm going to make you the, a fisher of men. 
He said, give up your only source of income and become a homeless wanderer for the next three years. Think about what he said to the man who said, I got all the law right. I've got all the stuff right. I do everything that the, the law says. Jesus says, oh, that's great. Go home, you rich man, sell your possessions, sell your house, and now you walk with me. He said, it was good to meet you, Jesus. But how many believers do it every time you come to church and you hear a message like this and then you leave here and when there's a, something put out and God says serve him and trust him, you walk away and you don't change a flipping thing about your life. Because you saw Jesus but you said you're not worth any change. What's the reason? Because you don't actually trust that he has your good at heart. You would rather trust, this is how I do, this is my logic, this is my way, this is how I've always done it, this is how I grew up. Well, how you grew up is how you got where you are. And trust me, it ain't purdy. You got to change something. And most church people have grown up in wrong theology and instead of throwing it away for truth, they'd rather sit in a, in a revolving wheel of failure because they think that's truth. But truth sets you free, doesn't keep you in bondage. Right? God says Abraham was counted as righteous. That word counted from, comes from the Greek logisomai. It means this, to put in one's account. He says, God counted him as righteous. He says, I'm going to credit your account as right. And when you get right standing in the heavenly account, you get to make withdrawals. What kind of withdrawals? Someone say, what kind of withdrawals? Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Keep on asking. You'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking. You'll find. Keep on knocking. The door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. To everyone who knocks, the door will be open. When righteousness is credited to your account, he says you get to access a place where all of your needs are waiting on a knock and a ask and a seek. But do you put your faith in what you see or your faith in what you can't see? Because what we do is we say we have faith in Jesus, but when you, put, when you start to put your trust in things that he tells you to do and you don't see the thing coming to you, you doubt, the practice, right? You doubt the step that he says do and you stop doing because you didn't see the fruit. What if God, all he wanted you to do was pray or encourage for someone and because you never saw it profit your life, you saw it as loss? But you didn't know that the entire life of you encouraging a younger one 
your lips were unlocking destiny that were going to change Savannah in the next generation. But you don't trust God. You're trying to get God to do something for you. Instead of saying, God, what would you have me do for you and you do through me? It's like this. Think about Daniel. Every church does something at the beginning of every year because every church, you know, everyone is, you know, creative. A Daniel fast. 21 day fast in January. Everyone does it. We did it for every year. We, sometimes, sometimes we might still do it. But no one knows really about what the 21-day Daniel fast was all about. God did not tell Daniel fast for 21 days. What happened? Daniel had an issue. So he started knocking and asking and seeking by way of a fast. And he fasted day one. And nothing happened. He fasted day two. Nothing happened. He fasted day three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Now, I don't know if, if, if I didn't have a Daniel fast in my record book to read and I was Daniel, at day ten, I've been getting hungry and I've been thinking, this ain't working. But what did Daniel do? Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. 21, and he was probably about to do 22, but on day 21, it says the archangel Michael came down and had a conversation with Daniel. And Daniel had a conversation with the angel that I probably had too. Dog, where you been at? I ain't been eating for, I've been on fruits and vegetables for 21 days. What you been doing? And you know what the angel said? I've been fighting a battle. And it took me 21 days to fight it. Partnering with you because you on earth came into agreement with something going on in a heavenly realm that you did not see. And because you stayed faithful And something that you did not see because you trusted that God told you to fast until after an amount of days that you did not know, something happened, a breakthrough on earth as it was in heaven came down. But in order for it to happen, there had to be a battle going on in a realm that you did not see for me to come to you to give you an answer. Why do I say that? Some of you have spent years and weeks or months praying and asking God for this one thing, and you say, well, I haven't seen anything happen. But what if it's because you are coming into agreement with a battle you don't see so that someone after you never has to go through something that you had to go through? If the last generation was taught that, maybe this generation wouldn't have so many issues issues on sexual identity. Because what if the issue of sexual identity got locked up in the heavenly realms because angels took the swords and cut its head off? 
but no one knew what spiritual warfare and heavenly agreement was all about because all we thought it was was do and get because it wasn't trusting God. It was let me do something to get an outcome. What if all you're ever encouraged to do is encourage someone? What if all God ever told you to do was speak something into the atmosphere, and even though you never saw fruit from it, God looks at it as prosperous? Because he needed you to get it out for someone else to pick it up. But you look at it as failure. I never look at empty seats as a failure when I bring the word. One, the word says that his word doesn't go out null and void, so I trust in that. And two, if you're here, you're getting something to do something with. And what happens in church is that if after two years we don't fill up seats, we shut the doors because we're not successful. When Jesus says, all I need is 12. If I can just change 12 people, they can do more than me. And after he did it for just three years, he left and said, establish my ecclesia. Bring my kingdom and you are a new ecclesia. You are a new governing body. You are the church. Now go govern. And what happened over time is that the government didn't like the fact that the ecclesia, that the church had power, that they didn't need to go to the government for health insurance because they were healing each other. I'm serious. They didn't need to go to the government to say, can we get a loan for a house? Because they gave unto the storehouse and none of them had need. They didn't need to rely on government programs for food pantries because they never had any issue with food. When the government saw they didn't depend on them, King James says, let's rewrite some of this Bible. Call on the elders, not all believers, to lay hands on the sick. Constantine, you know what, I don't like this whole meeting together in houses. Let, let's set up to where they all got to watch me give a word so that they take the power away from the people and depend on the pastor, the preacher. Let's create them depending on the person and let the person depend on the government and we can get control again. And that's how modern day church is. And more people have faith in a leader than in God. And when the leader disappoints the people, the people lead the church because the faith was never in God. It was in a motivational preacher. And that's why God calls an idiot like me to start a church. Because if it takes me an extra 20 years to break down strongholds with the agreement of a few, I'm good for that journey. Because if we can break down strongholds in an apostolic government, can you imagine what we're setting up for the next generation to do? I'll go through that work so that they never have to do it.
because it's tough and it hurts and it's emotional and it's traumatic and all these things, but he's my rock and I'll go through it so that they never have to. I don't want to fluff the feathers of carnal Christians. I want to build people. That's what we all want. But we have to have faith and trust in the process. Verse 4. I'm going to try to go through this. this, Can can I take my time? Okay. Because we're in verse 4 and I'm seven minutes over already. And there's like 28 verses. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. But people are counted as righteous. Not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. You don't earn the right because of what you do. You're counted right because of faith. Why does he point that out? Because if it were by earning, then God would owe you something. God doesn't owe you anything. So don't complain when God doesn't show up for you just because you believe. Do you believe because you want God to do something? Or do you have faith even if he never does anything again? Your good behavior does not put God in debt to do something for you. But isn't that what the church does? I did it when I got diagnosed with a brain tumor years and years ago. What was it now? Uh, Nine, ten years ago now? I left my scholarship. I I took a high salary of $14,000 a year to become a youth pastor and a music pastor. I left this for you. I've done all this for you. I've been to church every week. I got ordained. I served for a pastor who I didn't like. I did this. I did that. I did that. And now a brain tumor, God, where are you at? Right? I didn't give that to you. But if you'll turn it over to me, I will certainly show you the next step. Do you have faith? Yeah, God, okay, you've never tied. Give me your money. God, that don't make sense. I need to keep my money because i got to raise money to get this brain surgery. God's like, give me your money. God, that don't make sense. I need it. You don't know what I need. But that's what we do. God, I have done everything right. Why did you let this happen? Why do you put all that on me all the time? You live in a world that's corrupt and you think that corrupt things happening in you is my will? You live in a fallen world. You live in a corrupt world. Let me just give you, a, a, let, let me just give you some truth. Bad things are going to happen to believers. And God doesn't have things to do with that sometimes. And when bad things happen, you don't say, God, why did you? You say, God, how do you want your ecclesia, your government, your management, that is me, to handle this situation? And even if the step doesn't make sense, yes, Lord. When someone stabs me in the back, bless them. Yes, Lord. Right? Yes, Lord. Because you're not putting your faith in logic. You're putting trust 
that he has the best intention for you. You're trusting that if you seek him and knock, he will work all things out for your good. Not that he will plan all things out for your good. He'll work the stuff out for your good. God is not in control unless you put your situation under his control. God's in control. Obviously not by looking at your life. Because if he was in control over your life, you wouldn't be looking sad, pitiful, and put out all the time. Because when he's in control, the fruit of that control is love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, and self-control. And the fact that you have none tells me you put nothing up under his control. Well, you can't say that. That's judging. Yes, I can. And then, if that wasn't enough, he says, let me give you another one. Let's talk about King David. I'm, just gonna keep, I'm enjoying it. It's only 1140. Look at verse 6. David also spoke about this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. This is funny. Without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. You know what David's talking about? When David's saying, I'm so glad that the Lord clears my record. David was talking about, even though he got all this good stuff right, he listened to God. He played the harp in the field. He was a shepherd. He defeated Goliath. He was called out to be king. He served under a corrupt king for years. He could have killed him, but he served him. The guys tried to kill him. He protected him. He did it right, 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 did it right. But works don't justify you. He did it right. And then one day, David, sitting in his glory, looked out. On the balcony. And he saw this woman bathing. He said, that woman fine. And he said, I want some of that. And it was the wife of his best friend. So you know what he did? He sent his friend to the front line of the battle to get him killed. So that he could get Bathsheba over for a night of ministry. I know you're hurting, girl. Right? Slept with her. Can you imagine the guilt on him? He says, thank the Lord. What joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. Whose sins are put out of sight. Now, he still had to be held accountable for his sin. Want to know how? Bathsheba got pregnant that night. You know who her son was? You may have known a book of the Bible about him called the Song of Solomon. David had the plans for the temple, but God said, you're never going to build it, and you're never going to see it. Solomon will build it. And David had to suck that up. He led his whole life doing everything right except for that. 
and he had to deal with his other sons rebelling against him, one of his sons raping his daughters. He had to deal with all kind of dysfunction in his family. He had to manage what he was sowing from what he reaped. But he knew that even though I got to manage a different course that was not planned out for me, he still marks me as forgiven. And I'm not going to let what everyone else talks about me as keep me from my destiny as king. Because David wrote this in Psalm 32. Look at verses 1 through 2. How happy and fulfilled are those whose rebellion has been forgiven, whose sins are covered by the blood. Verse 2, how blessed and relieved are those who have confessed their corruption to God. Again, he is ta- he, this is David talking about his mess up with Bathsheba. If you can read it in the footnotes of the psalm. For God wipes their slates clean and removes hypocrisy from their hearts. What does that mean? Everyone else probably called a Dave, King David a hypocrite for the rest of his kingship. But he says, I don't care what they call me. He removes it from me. But what happens in the Christian life is when you mess up and you have a record of wrong, what do you have faith in? That he takes hypocrisy out of your heart? Or do you put faith in what they name you as? Because when people call you hypocrite, you start to come into agreement with wrong things. I'll never be able to lead. I'll never be able to do. I've lost my calling. And God says, your faith is in the words of man, not in what I have done, wiping it off of your record. What's the reason you're not walking into your destiny? Because your faith is not in what I've done. Your faith is in what they call you. You see, forgiveness is found in mercy. And David's good record didn't earn it. God gracefully gave it. See, blessing is not found in striving to clear your record. No matter what David done, he could have never cleared that record with what he did with Bathsheba and basically like second or third degree murder. That was David's call. But God could. Because all he had to do was confess. And God said, now I can control. Because the moment you did that, if you didn't do that, I would have had to do with you probably what I had to do with Saul. And can you imagine what would have happened after that? Because Jesus came from the lineage of David. Thank God that David was so immersed that he knew what to do. Not earn but trust that God can make this work. Is this okay? Verse 9. Now, is this blessing only for the Jews, or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Because remember, Paul's talking to people who are obsessed with law. And one of the laws was, to be perfect, you've got to be circumcised. Well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted righteous by God because of his faith. How did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised, or was it before he was circumcised? 
God, clearly God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So, so, in other words, Abraham was called righteous in Genesis chapter 15. He wasn't circumcised until about 15 years later in Genesis chapter 17. So God says, let me make it clear. Abraham was counted as righteous before he got the law right. So, verse, uh, where is it? Continuing on. So, Abraham is the spiritual father of not those who get the law right, but those who have faith, but have not been circumcised. Their count is righteous, not because of law, but because of faith. Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abram had before he was circumcised. So he's making it very clear. Whether you get the law right or you don't get the law right, one qualifier, who do you trust? What's the reason you do what you do? And Paul goes on to say, Abraham is a spiritual father to all Why point this out? Because God made a promise to Abraham and to the children of Abraham. This is the promise in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. Look look at the faith in that. Leave your family, leave your home, and go to a place, and I'm not going to tell you where the place is. You can't map quest this one. I'm not going to give you the directions. Leave what you know and go with me to a place, and I'm not going to tell you what the place is till you get there. And then he says, leave everyone you know, and I'm going to take you to the place you don't know, and I'm going to make you famous among people who don't know you. You'll be a blessing to others. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. All the families on earth. Well, we just read that he's a spiritual father to all of what? Us. By what? Faith. So if you put your trust in God, then you get the promise as a descendant from Abraham. Whether you're Jew or a Gentile. So, look look at this in verse 13. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on obedience to law. But a right relationship with God that comes from faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary. The promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to not have no law to break. But there are so many who still try to access promises by doing. There is going to be a do, but it's not the doing that gets it. It's do you trust me no matter what I ask you to do. Because the promise is I'm going to give you the whole earth. And I said it last night and I'll say it this morning. Where's our faith? 
when a thunderstorm comes and we let it move our decision to be in the house of God. When we worship a God that told the ways where the heck they can go. Do you have faith in a weather report that ain't never right? Or in, the, in a God that says, your promise is I'm going to give the earth to you and it's groaning to hear the voice of a son or daughter that it has to obey and wants to obey. The Bible says that the earth is yearning to obey a voice. The problem is it doesn't recognize our voice because our voice is not in his voice completely. And the reason for that is because we have yet to walk out faith. I've got faith. I'll do whatever the Lord tells me. Look at our country. You know, the, the Lord says, trust me, pray for your enemies. And I look on Facebook and I see 20 Christians talking bad about President Biden. I don't agree with anything that man's doing. And I do think that he is the wrong choice for this nation. I'll be very bold to say that. But my God says, trust me, pray for him. What if the right president is locked up in our prayers for the wrong one? Faith. <laughs> Verse 16. So the promise is received by faith. It's given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. The promise is made in Genesis 12. It's made in Genesis 17. I will make you a father of many nations. See, faith is, not, is, the, way, faith is the way we're made right. It's not an explanation of bad things. I get so sick and tired of that. Why did this bad things happen to me? Just have faith. I'm not going to have faith that a bad thing happened to me and that God had a plan for it. No, no, no. Have faith of what to do when the bad thing happened. God had a purpose. No, he did not. God did not have a purpose for COVID. But he can make it work if you ask him what to do with it. God bring COVID to purge a nation. No, he didn't. He didn't that in the Old Testament because of law-breaking. He says, I will never destroy the earth again unless by fire. And the earth is going to get in more disarray and it's going to have more decay. And the fruit of decay is disease. I didn't send it. But I can use it if you'll put it before me and trust the steps. Let's get it right. Let's not just try to make a, a bad thing a good thing just because we have empty rhetoric. 
God had a purpose. Shut up. That's why people don't want to worship your God. Because you're telling people that our God is trying to kill good people. What does the scripture say in Romans chapter 1? I did not appoint you for wrath. It doesn't get more clear. Verse 17. I'm getting there. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Out of nothing. That's what you were. You were dead, and he's creating a new thing out of your nothingness. But you've got to have faith that he can do that. Well, you don't know where I'll come from. I don't care. He can create a new thing out of nothingness. He can create great things out of disaster. But do you trust that he can do that? Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. What do you mean he was hopeless? Look at verse 19. Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, his figure and his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. In other words, God says, I'm going to give you many kids, and at 100 years old, he's looking at his wife, who's 100. And Abraham's like, God, I know you said that we would get pregnant, but she's a little past the age of pregnancy. I don't know if you're looking at what I'm looking at. But I don't know if that that thing can get pregnant, God. <laughs> but look at verse 20. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. You see, Abraham didn't have bipolar faith. He didn't believe one day and die the next because he looked at his circumstances. You know, we live by faith, not by sight. Abraham didn't have faith, and then 100 years later, oh, God, I don't know about this. No, he, he, it never wavered, and because he never wavered, it grew stronger. And here comes the issue with modern-day Christianity. Every preacher teaches people to depend on faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. God doesn't want your faith to stay the size of a mustard seed. He wants it to grow stronger. And I'm going to say it like this. Faith, small faith can move a mountain. Well, so can an earthquake. It may take a little bit more than small faith to break down strongholds of witchcraft in Savannah. It may take a little bit more than mustard seed faith for Savannah to not be known as the city of, that's most haunted, but the city that is most Holy Ghost filled. So... Do we stay reliant on a little bit of faith that can move mountains? Or do we stand strong and not waver no matter what we see? Because the church is wavered right now. I just want Jesus to come back because boys are becoming girls and girls are becoming boys and men are coming in women's restrooms and all that. Don't waver. 
You really think that all is lost because of laws that are passing by fallen people? Because we've been taught the wrong thing that God's going to come back because the earth is going to get worse. But my Bible says he's coming back for a bride that is spotless. That means a bride, a church without spots. So we are going to grow stronger and it's going to get better. But, and that is why he's being patient. I read all these posts all the time. God's coming back. No, he ain't because the church ain't that good yet. And I believe wholeheartedly with everything I am, if it takes another 3,000 years for the church to get it right, he is that patient and that good. Because he doesn't want to marry something that looks like we, us. So unpack your bags and start managing the earth that belongs to you. It's getting worse, Kyle. We'll do something about it. I am a praying that Jesus returns. Why? He promised you he would. You're wasting time. Think about it. I'm coming back. Jesus, come back. I told you I was. Why are you asking me? Do you not have faith in my return? Well, you've got to come back sooner. Do you not trust in my time? His faith grew stronger. And the last three verses of Romans chapter 4, verse 23, when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Assuring us that God will count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. See, it was all for one purpose, just to make us right, just like Abraham. You gain access to right standing when you trust in him. Why do you do what you do? Why do you ask what you ask? What is the reason behind every move? What is the reason behind every step? Is it because you're trying to earn? Or is it because you simply ask? Think about how many wasted investments we make on doing good. Think about the average Christian. We do good because it's a good thing to do. But when did you ever include God in the decision to do good? I mean, let, let's, get, let's get really confrontational about it. It's a good thing to go feed the homeless. But there are so many people that can. Maybe you should ask, is it in my steps toward my destiny to go feed them today? Or does God want me to go to this obscure place that I don't know. What if God, what if everyone's going to feed the homeless, but God said, go to the beach? Because there was an assignment for you at the beach to unlock healing in someone. And they didn't get the healing because you thought it was better to do good by feeding homeless. Because you never included God in the conversation because you are weighing, let me do good versus trusting in God's direction. Right? God, what do you want me to align with? What do you want me to partner with? God, where do you want me to be? Not because it makes sense, but because this is where you told me to be. God, where do you want me to go? 
not because this is the popular thing, but because, and maybe it is. I'm not trying to disqualify those things. Maybe God did tell you to go feed the homeless. I'm not trying to say one thing's better than the other. I'm just trying to say include God in the decision because it's not about let me do good. It's about God, what would you have me do? And no matter what it is, I trust you. Because good works don't earn you. But there is a destiny locked up somewhere. In the call to worship today, Stacy read about marching around the walls of Jericho. Think about that for a second, y'all. The people of God were walking away out of slavery into their destiny. And their destiny was locked up in the hands of other people. And you think that your destiny is going to be easy? When God has something planned for you, trust me, it's going to be locked up in something. And you're not going to be able to unlock it by yourself. And you're not going to be able to unlock it by good works. Joshua did everything right. How did he unlock it? I'm going to tell you to do something stupid, Joshua. Walk in silence around the whole thing seven times. And on the seventh day, not, hey, on the seventh day you're going to get everyone to shout. They, they didn't, once they did it, God said shout. Right? Trust God in the process. You're not going to know every step. You're not going to know every reason. But trust. What's the reason you do what you do? He's good. He's faithful. And he's going to have great things for you. He does have great things for you. So trust him. And he won't let you down. And he won't fail you. Because he's that good. Amen.